Hello and welcome to another episode of the Get Italian Football News podcast. Today I'm joined by Raphael Jukobin and Richard Hall. Welcome, guys. Cheers, good to be back. Thank you for having me on again. Yeah, no problem. Okay, let's get cracking. And first things first, um, on Sunday night, Juventus won their ninth Scudetto on the trot, uh, beating Sampdoria 2 0. Um, so we're coming to you first, Rich. What were your thoughts on the game itself, and um, so who stood out for you uh, on Sunday night? I think with Juventus, it's um, it's funny because we've had this weird criticism of them, which um, you know they've not been the best Juventus. They've been quite um, they've been they've dragged themselves over the line. And I was thinking about it since Sunday when watching the game because I had to really look at the Juventus players in some respect because I was very guilty of that mindset. And then I thought, well, hold on a second. We're, we're being, we give in a way that if they get it right, they'll be really good. We look at the way, we praise Atalanta for how fantastic they've been. We're looking at the of Milan coming back up. We're looking at Atalanta and we can't say a bad word about them. And yet, after all this, you look at Maurizio Sarri and Juventus and they go and do the job against Sampdoria and that mental strength and so this is the thing for me that I know that people are criticising and saying that people like you know the improvement of Paolo Dybala Cristiano Ronaldo has dragged them over the line I think they're all valid points in some way definitely valid points but when you really look at that squad and the winning mentality uh, I, I mean the one person who stands out more than anyone who's improving improving but not really probably getting as much headlines as he should do is Wojciech Szczesny because for me um, he's the goalkeeper of the season and that's really tough saying that because Sami Handanovic would be good. Uh, Juan Musso, I think, has been exceptional for Udinese. We could go on and on because there's about four or five more you could pick. So I think that for me, Chesney just embodies what this, um, Juventus is about and that they, they get the job done. And um, yeah, they've got certain players, obviously Ronaldo, with the, you know, what's he got now? Something like 52 goals in 60-something games in, in two seasons in Serie A. You know, it's almost like they've got players like Chesney, Ronaldo, uh, Dybala, and some of the old guard as well, who whilst Juventus are, how can we put it, evolving and changing, they're still making them win. So I actually think Juventus deserve a lot of credit for that because I've got to, like I said from the start, I've been guilty of thinking they're a lazy team almost this season. And um, hey, nine Scudetto's on the trot. You can't do that by being lazy. Yeah. And so obviously this is Mauricio Sarri's first Um we had Antonio Conte won three, then Massimiliano Allegri won five. How do you think this Juventus team compares to the previous eight seasons that we've had, Raphael? I think even if um, even if it wasn't as convincing in terms of points compared to previous seasons, I think there is a bit of an elephant in the room this season with the fact that there wasn't a really long break. And a lot of Juventus I mean, some Juventus players even had... COVID-19 themselves so you have to look at overall the overarching circumstances like surrounding this season and I think when you look at that it really was not it wasn't an easy task I mean, a lot of people have been criticizing Sarri saying he hasn't been able to sort of impose his style of play on the team but I think he's done well with, with considering the circumstances and I think I mean, it was it was Ancelotti, I think, uh, the other day, who was saying that, you know, Sarri will grow into the the managerial role. I think this was a transition season. He he hasn't quite been able to sort of get them playing his way, 
but he does deserve a lot of credit for the, sort of the run that they put in to finish off the season. Yeah, I mean, at various stages of the season, there have been reports that perhaps Sari was in a bit of trouble. Uh, obviously, they have lost two cup finals this year with the Supercoppa and then the Coppa Italia. Rich, do you think this this uh, title win definitely guarantees him a second year? Or if they were, say, go out to Lyon in the last 16 of the Champions League, could there still be talk of him going this summer? I like the point Raphael made then because it's difficult. The, the context of how Sadi's won this title is quite interesting. Add to that that, I mean, how old is Sadi now? 60, 62, I can't remember now how old he is, but he was only about 20 odd years ago. This guy was a banker. You know, mm. he was very lower league. Now he's coaching some of the best players in the world, if not one of the best players, you know, to, of, of recent history. So for his development and how he's come on, we can't take development on just age. You know, he's developed himself in a fantastic manner. So in some respects, the events have got to trust in their project. In my, and this is only my opinion. This is not, um, my opinion is that they need to trust in their project because they didn't, Allegri was winning. They were winning more than they were winning double consecutive doubles. You know, they've lost out to Lazio and, um, and Napoli in the Coppa Italia finals in the last couple of seasons. I don't think the Lyon game really matters as much. I think that events are never to be won to win the Champions League, and that is obviously a massive obsession of theirs. But for me, I think the transition and bringing Sadi in, along with the likes of Ronaldo, um, w- was to try and start playing. It's all about the brand, the change in the name, the change of the kit, the change of it. It's trying to appeal to all markets. We know about the Agnelli's wanting to push the European Super League. It's a massive, massive project. If you embark on this with Sadi, and after one season, you still won the Scudetto, you know, it's, and it, it, you, let me put this really quickly before I go. You sacrificed when you left with Agnelli, the fact that, sorry, with um, Allegri, that what you did then, you went, okay, winning's not the only thing that counts, which is Juventus' motto. You then said, I want to go and do this with style. I want to take it to the next level. That's why Sadi's here. That doesn't happen in one season. So your answer to your question is, I think Sadi's definitely going to be there next season. I just feel if there's not a big improvement next season, then people will talk. Yeah, I think you could be right. I, I expect to see him there next year. <clears throat> we saw with Napoli when, when he was there that he sort of got better and better over time. And his third season there, that's probably the closest Juventus have been pushed uh, in these last nine years. That was, that was a really tight league. So, yeah, I think he probably will get another go. Okay, from one manager to another, and the big breaking news, this actually came out just after we did the podcast last week. At AC Milan, Stefano Pioli is staying. Ralph Rannick is not coming at this point. What are your thoughts on that, Raphael? The right move or a bit short-sighted for Milan? I would say it's a bit short-sighted because you don't, you don't know if... Because Pioli, he's had these sort of successful runs of clubs in the past that have sort of worn out as time as time's gone on and personally I'm, I'm disappointed because I, I I was looking forward to seeing how Randnick would sort of come into Milan and change change the way the club was run because he would have sort of um it would it would have been something new for Italian football as well having having um, a manager who has that much control over the club because he would have had he would have had basically the role of manager and technical director, but yeah, I mean, on the on purely on the evidence of of what he's what he's achieved this season, I think Pioli does deserve the job. But at the same time, 
I do think I do think a two year contract might have been a bit a bit excessive. I think an extra year would have been would have been good because they would have been able to judge him over a full season. So with um with it, were you were you surprised by the announcement, um, Raphael? Were you surprised, or, or did you sort of see it coming? Because this is something that's dragged on and on over months, really. Um, so, so it sort of came out of the blue a little bit. But could you also see it coming? What What do you think? I think there were there were signs, sort of in the build up to the announcement, that it wasn't gonna that it wasn't gonna break. Because I think a couple of days before, there there were rumours that. They weren't. Um, I mean, they weren't ready to pay uh, Ragnick's release clause from uh, from Red Bull. So I think, I think negotiations weren't really moving in that direction in any way. So I think I, I, I mean, overall, I would say it's not too much of a surprise because, like I say, on the evidence of of the last few games, Pioli does deserve does deserve to have a, have a shot at taking the team for a, for a full season at least. Yeah. Okay. And Rich, what what do you think this means for Milan heading into next season? With um, do you think it makes it more likely perhaps that Ibrahimovic stays, given that it seemed Ranik wanted to sort of revolutionise things? Um, do you think Rebic staying is a formality, and and now it seems Maldini's pretty much guaranteed to stay? Is is that how you see things? Yeah. I mean, I. I was quite vocal about this at the time because I, I echo a lot of what Raf says in the sense of Raf Raniak for me was a change of how Milan, not just Milan, but Italian football could have looked. How, you know, we, we are going too deep into it. We know about the state of Italian football stadiums, the way that, you know, Milan have a chance now. We see what Juventus have done. Milan and Inter have a chance if this comes out that even though some of us might not like it, that San Siro eventually has to be changed and upgraded. And to put um, Italian football in a different place, um, they, this idea of a project in Milan with the massive name they have, it would have been Ranić's biggest project. It would have been a huge gamble for Milan. Even Kazidis has great um, relationships with both Ranić and Elliot Management. I think Gordon, especially in Elliot Management, is a good friend of uh, Kazidis's. It looked like they... And what frustrates me about this is that they sacrifice so much for this. They sacrifice Vonimir Boban. Um, you know, because he was, you know, if you're talking old guard and you have Maldini, you have Boban, no problems. I don't mind that. If that's your, that's the way you're going to go. I also agree with Raphael that, you know, Pioli deserves it on recent results. Um, but this, this has been, uh, you know, he tried to sign Raniak twice. This is not a six month project. This is ever since Gazidis has been in there. So everything was pointing towards it. And for me, this was what very, very, very simple. It was a power play. Because Maldini, it's very political. Maldini played his cards, uh, you know, with management of the board and what Milan are. And that he knew if Ranić came in, he was out. So he had, I feel that Maldini backed Pioli because, like, you back the only person who's going to get you in. If you ask, I would say this to any Milan fan who's really, really happy about Pioli being in, two questions. One, would Maldini have backed Pioli um, if he had the choice of another coach and still being in his position, not being ousted? Not sure. If you ask any Milan fan six, seven months ago, do you think he's a progressive coach? As even Gazidis just called him recently in the new announcement. I'm not sure as well. So I'm not saying it's bad for Milan. What my problem is with Milan is that they've um, gone down this path for two to three years, trying to look to go to this thing. They've got it right to the, to the absolute wire. And for 8 million euro and a power play in the boardroom, in a sense, 
I think it's disappointing because I would have loved to have seen Milan. I mean, look at the smell of players they have with Hernandez, Donnarumma. We could go through, you mentioned Rebic. There's so many different players they have there who could be developed by Ranić and, you know, maybe not to, uh, to be then sold on, but to keep. Different strategy for Milan. And I'm just a share, uh, disappointed overall because I feel like Milan have um, done the easy, the easy thing. And I know it's difficult sometimes to gamble so hard, but if you plan for it for that long, then follow it through. In my opinion, anyway. Not that, that matters. Yeah, no, I, I think you're, I mean, last week we spoke on the show about how Milan were reportedly balking on the release clause, but really that seems to be just, I don't, I don't think that is the main reason at all. As you say, I think it's to do with what's going on behind the scenes. So, but anyway, Pioli obviously was announced last week. Then his first match under his new contract was against Atalanta. Finished one all. Both teams unbeaten since the restart. What were your thoughts on the game, Raphael? Um, I think a lot of people expected Atalanta to win that, given Milan had a lot of players missing. Yeah, I thought I thought it was a weaker performance from Atalanta, but yeah. I think generally at the same time they have got bigger fish to fry in the coming weeks anyway. So I think their attention has sort of come off come off Syria for for the time being. Even though Gasparini has been saying that he he, he is aiming to to finish second, so I, I think Milan just took took advantage of that situation. You know, they weren't the Atalanta weren't really firing on all cylinders going forward. Um, I mean, Chalhanoglu scored a really good, really good free kick. Even though Gollini could have done a bit better in terms of um, in terms of reaching the shot, so I think it was it was a fair result on the on the whole. Yeah, I mean, I've also sensed that um, the last couple of games, Atalanta have perhaps just taken a slight dip. I mean, obviously, the game before that they beat Bologna one nil, not the most convincing win. Then they had this performance. And so, yeah, I, I want to go on to, as you mentioned there, this race for second place. Rich, in your opinion, is that actually important? Um, does it matter who finishes second now that the top four is set is set in stone? Because obviously Antonio Conte came out a little bit controversially perhaps and said second place is first loser. Are you of that opinion or do you think that every side should aim as high as they can? No, I mean, I like what Conte said in one respect. I mean, look, he's, he's all full of lead and thunder in some respects. But I get what he's trying to do. And, you know, Conte's from a year, despite him doing exceptionally well in some respects at Inter, he's still got that Juventus mentality that winning, the old school winning is all that matters. And um, so I understand that second place is not that important to him. Um, I think that realistically now, between those clubs, I think Inter would like it would show that they to, for them to finish in the top. Uh, it, sorry, second to Juventus is, is more important probably than it is for Atalanta because it shows that they are on their tail straight away. It sends a message for next season, um, but that's about all it really is. Um, you know, now we've got the European competitions coming up, so that's going to be a focus. Um, it, it's not. It's not huge. It's absolutely not huge. I think that Atalanta, in some respects, I think the focus for them is, um, you know, that, that what they've done again is fantastic. You know, it's top four, it's Champions League again. I, I, I think that they are playing, well, have been playing almost. And I think you guys were right before. Have been playing with no fear, but recently it's just dipped a little bit. Um, as Raphael said, Golin, it frustrates me because he could be so good in the same game. He can be so good and then just switch off a little bit. Um, you know, Duvin Zapata was probably the best player in that game. Um, but 
you know, you look at this race for second place now, and I just think that inter-squad depth should do it, should do it. Um, you know, the last performance. For me, the biggest problem with Inter is that you you get certain amount of percentage of intensity and then it drops off. Yeah. And the problem is not, it's when they drop off, it's they turn off. And that's the thing that Conte's just got to finish off now to get this Inter team over the next line. It's, it's fine to have that intensity because when they have that intensity, they will overrun most teams. But when they turn off, it's like they don't even want to play anymore. So I think there's still work to be done, but I think realistically now, you know, the teams that deserve to be in the Champions League deserve to be in the Champions League. I think you don't want to finish fourth, but, you know, whether it's second or third for me, it's, it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's an interesting one there because I also wanted to grab your opinion as well, Raphael, on that thing because obviously this weekend, final game of the season is uh, Atalanta at home to Inter. Um, that could have, you know, second and third riding on it. Do you, do you think that game perhaps matters a bit more to Atalanta, you know, going from their highest finish in Serie A, also going for 100 goals in a season? That hasn't been done for nearly 70 years. Is, is that how you sort of see things, that Atalanta have more riding on the match? I think it will in terms of, as you say, in terms of getting those records, in terms of playing for pride, I guess. But I think another way you can see the um, the game is as a sort of big game preparation for them, the matches against PSG. Because so in the last few weeks, they have been playing, you know, apart from Juventus, they have been playing some, some, some mid-table teams. I think having that, having that game just before they go back to the Champions League will probably be a good way to sort of practice for playing against a, a sort of a, a big-name team. So I think for them, it will definitely be a useful game. Um, I'm not sure. Um, it, it will have a lot. It will have a few things riding on it in terms of in terms of setting those setting those records. But I think for them, the main thing the main thing Gasparini will be looking at is seeing how his team will fare against a good opponent. Yeah, and of course, what will benefit them is that they'll have a full week to prepare for PSG. Obviously, we've been playing every three days recently. Um, we'll talk more about Champions League and Europa League next week. Um, now I just want to drop right down the table the relegation battle and over the past week Brescia and Spau have been confirmed as dropping down to Serie B um, and on Sunday there was a heartbreaking loss for Lecce last minute goal Bologna won 3-2 they're now four points behind Genoa with two games to go Rich do you think that's it for them or do you think they could still take it to the final day and pull off a miraculous uh, survival. Uh, I I have to say I don't think so. Um, I think that when you look at Lecce straight away, they conceded eighty goals. <laughs> I mean, it's just crazy. I like I like Lecce. I like the stadium. I've got no issues. I like Leverani. I like the, I like the team in a, to an extent. I like Mancuso. I think he's fantastic in Chester and Serie A. Put that aside. Uh, do, I don't feel sorry for them because they ship so many goals. I mean. I still, like I said the other week I was on that the craziest game I've ever seen this season was Lazio versus Lecce because how they pulled that off was incredible. So they, they can play and they show they can, but they don't do it consistently. They can be brilliant, poor, emotive, terrible, all in the same game. And when I look at the teams above them, obviously you've got Genoa. I know Genoa aren't many people's favourite teams. I have a little soft spot for Genoa, but um, I always think with the fact they've got people like Pinamonte and Pan, even Pandev, no one laughed here. I still think Pandev. Uh, you know, can 
if used correctly, he can do. I can't believe he still can, but he can still get those important goals. And, you know, Mattia Perrin in goal, they just seem to have too much. Torino, again, you look at them, they've got Bellotti, they've got the Sidigu again. They've got that core that when they have to play, they can play. Um, you know, I look at Lecce now and I just think that their form, you know, realistically, it's not been great. I know they got a win, as we said, the other week, but realistically, I can't see anything now. And uh, fixtures-wise, you know, you, you look at that and it's, I don't know, personally, personally, when you look down, I, I just think Genoa will have enough. I, I, I always back them a little bit because... I don't really about them when they have a crowd. Don't get me wrong. I definitely about them when they've got a crowd because they always can, especially at home, do, do something fantastic. But you look here, generally it's quite tough away at Sassuolo, but people disregard Udinese. I think Udinese are, at the moment are playing really well. They seem to be just, it doesn't matter who they play. They're amusing me, but they seem to just sit back and they can counterattack really, really well. Uh, so I don't fancy Lecce going away to Udinese. And that pretty much writes it off. I mean, I know that uh, Genoa have got Verona, which is a tough game on uh, the last game of the season. But Verona seemed to be, well, you saw what happened last week to a very informed Lazio. And so, you know, then and Lecce have got Palmer and, and they were in really good form. So I just don't, even if Genoa mess up on one or two, one of those games, sorry, I just don't think Lecce have got in yeah, I mean, as as you say, Lecce can sort of go from the sublime to the ridiculous. I remember one of their games earlier this season, they were playing Atalanta. I think it was two all at half time, and you thought this is set up for a thriller. It ended up seven yeah. two and could have been worse. <laughs> so um, yeah, you don't really know what you're going to get with them. But um, I just wanted to touch on. So obviously we've got Brescia and Spout. It looks like Lecce may join them. Um, Raphael, do you give any of those teams a decent chance of maybe bouncing back quickly? Obviously, we've seen Benevento and Crotone are going to come back up to Serie A next season. They, they've they only been back down in Serie B briefly. Do you see any of those teams having a chance of doing the same? I think out of the three, probably Brescia has the best chance of coming back up. I think they're definitely the most the most proactive out of the three, especially when you look at how, um, how Chilino is is doing his business. I mean, it's only a couple of days ago that he, he announced the new director of sport. He said it himself, he wants to sort of, wants to lead a rebuild for the club. So I think they, I think Brescia have definitely got the best sort of base for, um, to sort of come back, come back up this area. I think they will have to sort of iron a few things out. I mean, there's the Balladelli situation, which it looks like he's out of the door. Um, that that's that that's a bit of a that's a bit of a muddy situation because he's I think he's been kicked out of the club and they have a few legal issues to sort out of that. But I think yeah, out of the three, I would say Russia definitely definitely got the best chance. Yeah, it seems I I think Russia at times this season have looked pretty decent. I mean, it hasn't helped that Gelino seems to get a new manager in the door every other week. But uh, we'll see if that rebuild <laughs> goes along the same strategy or not. Um, OK, so I just want to touch on some of the other games that we saw this weekend. First of all, Sassuolo somehow lost 2-0 to Napoli. They had four goals disallowed. Three of them were originally given. And then the referee had a word in his ear and they weren't given. Um, have you seen a more ridiculous game this season, Rich? 
Uh, I know you said Lecce Lazio, yeah, but this, Lazio. This, this, this one, yeah. this one rivaled it. <laughs> Not for VAR, but look, for me, this, uh, I thought about this quite a lot because my first instinct was like everyone else is to be absolutely, uh, uh, you know, how can this happen? It, it's, it's terrible. You know, these four goals, that, that's what I've scored. And the referees looked at him and they, they, you seem, you want to be incensed. Look, it doesn't, for me, I like football when it's got an element of personal error because the game itself does. A goalkeeper can let a ball go between his legs. A, a forward can shin a ball and it goes wide from an open goal. I like that. And I think that should also part of the fun of that is in the referees. However, my opinion counts not the jot anymore because VAR is there. So you have to accept VAR. And you have to look at it and you have to put your trust in VAR. And so when we see this game and the four goals are disallowed, I mean, if they're taking it to the smallest measures and this is what the game is now then that game isn't the problem now that that's how that's how it is for me because at the end of the day you know it's it's it, we, we've decided or the powers of be have decided this is how the game will be played from here on in and so then you you accept it and if there's little differences and it almost like is watching a game of pro evolution or fifa when the the, the, the the offside is so minuscule that some computer yeah. spots it and it's done. That's the rules. So that's the result. Would you, if you're asking, so for me, is it ridiculous from my way? No, it's completely sane because this is what, we, what we've got. If you ask me, is it ridiculous that we're going to those fine levels and margins? There's a whole big issue about VAR that everyone's got different opinions on and mine really don't matter. But, you know, I prefer, of course, that the game to be played out just as it because it would have been, I think, in another situation, that game probably could have at least been 2-2, you know, with a, a referee. Well, like you say, 3-2, uh, 3-2 to, to yeah. Sassuolo. But we've got what we've got. Yeah. I mean, in, in fairness to the linesman, at least two of those were very, very tight. One of them they yeah. did actually get right originally and were then confirmed by VAR. One of them was quite clearly offside. But, yeah, it, it, was, a, it was a pretty crazy... Uh, sort of hour. It was all in the first hour. It was bizarre. Um, okay, so Raphael, we, we've talked quite a bit about Roma the last few weeks and how, you know, we're a little bit worried for them with what's going on behind the scenes. They beat Fiorentina this weekend and they, they, they've almost secured fifth. How, how do you see this first season under Fonseca? Do you think fifth is about right, about what they'd have expected? Or do you think they'd have been expecting to be a bit closer to that top four? I would say, I would say it's a fair reflection of of the season. I think, especially in the, especially in the last few weeks, they've got five wins out of six, which which when you look at it a month ago, wasn't looking it wasn't looking very good for them because there there has been a lot of backroom trouble. You know, if the ownership sort of the only I think the club's on sale, and um, and the uh, director of sport has has left, so I think. When you when you take that into account, when you take into the fact that you know they have built the they have sort of built their success on loan players because Smalling and Mkhitaryan have been doing very well for them. Um, I think I think it is I think fifth is a good reflection of of it, especially when you know when you look at sometimes in their um, sort of in their attacking phases they are a bit over reliant on um, on Edin Dzeko and on on Henry Mkhitaryan. So it'll be interesting to see how how they adapt to it this, how they adapt this summer, how they sort of 
will they will they will um will Smalling and Mikitaren stay on? Will you know will they bring in another attacker to sort of help out Jeko? And um and obviously on a wider scale, just how how the ownership will 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 affect things because that's that's all up in the air right now. So I would say they've got they've got a good base to build on you boy because Fonseca is definitely a good manager to lead them forward. Yeah, I think that I, I've watched Roma a few times the last few weeks and I've actually been quite impressed with them. They lost a couple on the bounce and then I remember they went behind at Palmer a couple of weeks ago, but they came back to win that and they've been doing pretty good since. So, yeah, I think um, overall they have pulled together pretty well despite uncertainty behind the scenes. And then I just want to focus a bit on the mid-table side. So we've had Palmer picking up back-to-back wins over the past week. Sassuolo, as we talked about, really impressed against uh, Napoli, very unfortunate there. And then Verona to get hammered by Lazio, but overall have done well. So, Rich, I wondered, out of that sort of middle cluster of teams, who's impressed you the most? Um, Quite a strange one, because Verona just done where they've stood in the table and how they've quietly got on about their business has been exceptional. You know, they've... um... Yeah, it is strange. The one of those teams where you always take note of the results, and then you know, two days later, you can be having a coffee, watching the, ta- looking at the table, and wow, you know, it's Verona. You know, how have they got there? The results don't. Uh, the the games they play. But let me say that in contrast to Sassuolo, for instance, Sassuolo, you remember how the Boga's been. Baradi's had it almost been consistent, which he's he's consistent. He's amazing. Um, so it's fantastic to see Sassuolo doing that. And you remember a lot of the results, a lot of the games they played. And it's really good to see that. Um, Verona have done it on the quiet, it's almost, in, in some respects. And I think that they've got... Um, what I like about Verona as a club is they really drill into the community. They really drill into their fans. They really know what they're doing. And I think that's... Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's fantastic. However, the one that for me that's the, the, the most um, impressive is Palmer. Just because, just because I think they've got a lot to build on. I think when you look at the likes of uh, Caprari, who is big, I'm a big fan of. He's done exceptionally well this season. Inglese can come in and be a target man. Okay, they're not going to have Kulusevski next season. But when you look down the squad, the fullbacks of Pizzello and Damian are good. Sepe, I can't believe Alves is doing, still doing a job. And you know, you just feel that with um, you know Roberto De Ravasa, he's getting the tune out of this team. Uh, limited resources, admittedly, but I just feel that they uh, next season they're a club that people will want to move to. They focus on young talent, um, which they seem to start well to start looking. Well, they seem to be doing, should I say? Then uh, yeah, I, I'm always positive about Palmer. Yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. Actually, another thing you have to take into account with Palmer is that. Their two first-choice strikers, Roberto Inglesi and Andreas Cornelius, have had major fitness issues this season. There's yes. been times where they've been playing without a recognised striker. So I, I agree. I think Palmer do slightly edge it for me in terms of those mid-table clubs. OK, next thing I want to move on to. Um, this has caused quite a bit of controversy in the last few days. Penalties. Um, <laughs> so I've got some stats for you guys. Um, Serie A this season... 177 penalties in 360 games. That's about one in. That's about one in two. La Liga 148 in 380. So still quite high, but about 30 less, having played 20 games more. The Premier League 92 in 380. So about one in four. 
Liga, 87 in 279. And the Bundesliga, 72 in 306. Raphael, does Serie A have a problem with giving too many soft penalties? It does look like it, but at least at least no team can sort of claim that they're being hard done by because everyone is getting penalties. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's clearly that clearly there are there are a lot of soft penalties being given. I mean, the one I'd like to pick out is um, is in Atalanta's game against Juventus. That second penalty, they were right on the edge of the box, and the ball was actually heading out of the box. Yeah, and when it hit the um, when it hit the Atalanta player's arm, which you know, if we're looking if we're looking at it logically, this sh- it shouldn't result in a goal goal scoring opportunity, but but it was given anyway, and you know it's that's that 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 was that that those are the those are the rules in Serie A this season, so it's not it's I, th- I think they do need to be revised, and I think especially when you look at how reliant. How um how VA, how the decisions are being made with VAR quite late on afterwards. Yeah. I think they definitely the sort of the ruling body does need to look at how how they sort of how they make the decisions because I think penal, penal I mean penalties have caused a lot of controversy this season. Yeah, I I think the main issue is as you point out there is handballs. Uh, as you point out in that you I mean handball is essentially meant to be. Is is the is there any sort of deliberate action? Is it like really disadvantaging the attacking side? Um, now, as you point out with that second one, there was no real disadvantage. It, he didn't deliberately like punch the ball away. And I've I've seen a number, you know, where players have their back facing the ball and it hits their arm. So yeah, Raphael was sort of saying that we need to revise that rule. Do you think the same, Rich? And do you think? Do you think there's any chance that Serie A will look at it and maybe call for more leniency? I've got a bit of a weird theory on this. and I mean, Italian football, as you guys know, has been, you know, much more than English football. Um, and a lot of people, I would say, French or even Spanish, and definitely German, has had a constant fascination with the referee. I mean, most people have probably read John Foote's book about uh, yeah, history yeah. of Calcio. Great passage in where the, the, they have the game about hit the referee for kids who are like six, and the whole board game in from the 50s and 60s is about chasing a referee. It's mental. Yeah. It's crazy. And so I think with this massive fascination, is that Italy had controversies so much, so much more. I've tried to explain to my friends when I've taken them out to Italy or whatever that, you know, about that relationship with the referee and the fans and the game. And it, it's almost pantomime. So for Italy, I understand why. My theory, anyway, I think is that they have more penalties because now this lets the referees off. You know, referees being vilified, chased, beaten up in lower league before. You know, we've seen so much in Italy over the years. That when VAR comes in, it allows them to pass responsibility. So they take the, especially as Raphael said about the handball, and you related to Justin, is the fact that if it happens, the easy thing to do is give a penalty. Because it does two things. I mean, you look at how many times people talk even now with like Juventus, you know, and penalties. It's still a big controversial situation. But at least if they do what they do now, it spreads penalties out over X amount of games, X amount of teams. So it's almost for me passing passing the book, passing responsibility. Is it good for the game? 
I don't know, probably not. But could you say, and I'm only talking about Italian football here, could you say that the refereeing in Italian football was spot on beforehand? No. And I think we've got some really, really... I'm, I'm not going to talk about 2006 because we haven't got nine hours, but, you know, and beyond and before. But, you know, you, you look at when Hellas Verona won the title in the 80s, it's the first time that the referees were chosen at random before they were chosen by an authority and the big teams always won. The one season they weren't chosen, Hellas Verona win. Now, Italian football, with that history of referees, you're not looking back and comparing it to a good past. So for me, yes, there's a lot of penalties. Is it frustrating? Yes, but you, you've got to be careful to what you compare it with, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, the, the reason it's been in the spotlight so much over the past few days is because of the leading scorer race. Uh, so obviously, <laughs> Immobile currently leads that. He has 34. 14 of those have been penalties. Ronaldo is second with 31. Uh, Third, I believe 12 or 13 of those have been penalties. So, particularly with Immobile, he's too short of Big Wayne's record set four seasons ago of 36. Raphael, if he does reach that in the next couple of games, will that achievement be diluted by the number of penalties that have contributed to that? I don't think it should be discredited because because he scored a lot of penalties. I, you know, it's not like there should be an asterisk next to his record if he does get it. Because, I mean, especially if you look at the two players, Ronaldo and Immobile, they, they, you know, they've proved not just this season, but over the years that they're not just penalty merchants. They have got a range of different finishes in their locker. You know, they are very capable players anyway. So it would definitely still be impressive. Um, although that said, I think it will put, it will put Higuain's record into perspective. I think... The fact that he managed to get, he scored more goals than games, than played games, yeah. and get and I, reached. I, I, I believe I believe only three of those were penalties. So yeah, that is exactly obviously quite a stark contrast with Immobile. Exactly. That's true, exactly. So I think Immobile will deserve plaudits if he does get it, or, or even if he doesn't get it, uh, on the basis of this season. But I think Higuain stands alone in, in his own right. Yeah, so one, one more thing I wanted to say on the Immobile thing is I, I want to point out that he would still be top scorer in the league even without those penalties. So as you say, it, it, may, it, it will bring the Higuain achievement into perspective, but uh, Immobile still nevertheless has had an exceptional season with Lazio this year. Okay, so final segment of the season, uh, sorry, of the uh, episode. Um, I'd like to focus on the transfer news. And so one thing that's been bubbling in the last few months, Sandro Tonali, obviously going to leave Brescia, who are going down to Serie B. But where does he go? It's, it seems Inter have been the favourites for long periods, but now Milan are interested. Rich, where, where do you see him ending up? Do, do you still think Inter will get it across the line? Yeah, I do with this one. Um, I know one of the guys at the press office at Milan and, and who I talked to and all that they've said basically is that Inter have been interested in this guy for a long time obviously because we know how talented he is. Uh, Conte is very keen to see him midfield and Italian midfield as well 
And when you look at likes of him and Barella, Sensi linking up, it all looks very good. It goes with what he wants to do. Um, the deal apparently has been agreed by Brescia, well, sorry, by uh, Tognali on personal terms with Inter for some time, but they've not agreed with uh, Brescia as yet. And it's just about hitting the, the actual um, agreement fee, which is supposed to be around 35 million euro. Milan certainly, you know, at the moment they've come in and uh, it seems really trying to push Inter. And it makes sense uh, that they would want to do that. But, the, you know, the last thing, that, and this isn't just from the person I spoke to, it's also now been reported since then in various different channels that Inter are ready to match that 35 million uh, and should bring that over the line quite quickly. So I still think that he could go there. Now, knowing Inter and knowing um, the way they can, they can be, um, I'm sure they can put a spanner in the works in front of themselves. But I do think that with Conte's insistence on getting this young Italian squad and Italian base, because remember, of course, you know, we all know it's the Conte Marotta blueprint that he found at Juventus, and that's what he's trying to put into place at Inter. I can't see that falling. I think it would be a big blow uh, for Inter yeah. because it's been the, been, as you said, been talked about for so long now that I'd be really surprised if that one fell at the last hurdle. Yeah, and one final thing on Inter, another player, Marash Kumbula. Um, he's, again, it seems a straight... Uh, you know, bidding war this time between Inter and Lazio. What I'm hearing in the last sort of 24 hours is that Inter seem to have taken the lead again um, in that race. Is that what you think? Do you think Kumbula is on his way to Inter? Yeah, I mean, if you have asked me last time I was on here, I'd have been adamant it was Lazio because yeah. Inter really started the interest with Kumbula. Um, really went heavy on him and then it just went dead. Uh, for me, it seems like a, a Lazio type of signing because it's one of those players. I mean, ironically, it's the certain type of player that Inter normally would go in for. Lazio would buy him and then Inter probably buy him later for a much bigger sum. But uh, recently, it does seem like Inter, well, recently, should I say, they, they've really come in again. They do need to strengthen that position. I mean, you look at, OK, Bastoni's been fantastic. De Vrij is probably the defender of the season. Probably in Serie A, along with maybe a Cherubi for me. Uh, yeah, Scrim Probably not as good a season as he would have liked. But when you look at the likes of Ranocchia and some of the players when you move down, did he go back to Van Houston and try and bring him in? Back from Liège, there's an option there. But, but you're missing that sort of middle ground. You've got Ranocchia who's almost out of it. We know Godin's probably going to go. Uh, so what have you got? They need some depth in there. So it does make it a sensible signing. We've just talked about Verona being exceptional this season as well. He's a big part of that. Um, and for the money they're talking about, to get a, a sense about it, it's potentially looking like a not not a steal as such, but just a sensible piece of business. So yeah, I could see into going for it. But as I said, I thought Lazio were really in the driving seat for that one at one point. Yeah, it, it does seem that Conte is adamant that he wants to get a more solid back three next year because um, it seems De Vrij has been the only one that he's been really happy with. There's been periods where Skriniar and Godin have been, you know, Skriniar has been in the team the whole season, but perhaps not settled into a back three. And then Godin and Bastoni battling amongst themselves for that third spot. So Kambula could add a bit more stability, perhaps. OK, to the other Milan club. And obviously, um, well, their transfer policy, we're not too sure how that's going to work out now. But uh, a couple of players, Ben Asser and Frank Kessier, Link with moves away. Milan have said they have no interest in selling, but do you think there's any chance that either of them leave this summer, Raphael? I'd be surprised if either of them left, to be honest, because they have both of them in their midfield tandem have been key, really, for Pioli 
this um, sort of at this in the the sort of latter part of the season, and I think for him to sign a two-year contract as well, he will have got some assurances, and some of, and that assurance will be really keeping those two because they have been so key in the midfield, and I know there were rumours about Kessia leaving to to Inter actually, but I think you know that doesn't fit. You know, as Rich was saying, it doesn't fit within Conte's plan of having an Italian, sort of an Italian backbone. And I think, you know, generally, Kessia does have a big role at Milan now. I think I'd be surprised if he left. I know if Ben Nash said there were there were rumours about him going to PSG. Yeah. Again, I can't really I can't really see because PSG have already got quite a crowded midfield. Um. I don't really see where he would where he would fit in that um, specifically. So I think I think both of them will stay. Yeah, I, th- I think that they've been key to Milan's resurgence in um, in recent months. You know, I, either side of the um, of the uh, break. So yeah, it'll be important that Milan keep hold of them. Final one. We we mentioned him briefly earlier about how he's only on loan at the moment. Rich, what what do you think to Chris Smalling? It seems Roma are keen to get a deal over the line uh, for him. Um, do you think it's, it's really important that Roma do manage to get him permanently? Yeah, I do. I, I'm quite a big believer of this one because I was doing, as many of us are probably now, like your Serie A team of the season, I was looking at centre-backs. Um, and for me, and I probably get slated for this now, I was looking at De Vrij and looking at Cherby, uh, uh, as like I mentioned before, being two of the ones I was really impressed with. And going through and looking, yeah, there's a shout for Benucci came back and did well, etc. But looking at it, I thought Chris Morning yeah. has been exemplary. He's been absolutely brilliant this season. And the difference between seeing him in the UK and then seeing... And let's not forget, you know, whilst um, people talk about, yes, OK, it's more... Oh, I hate saying this, but people say it's more physical, it's more quick, it's quicker in the Premier League. Most people would definitely take on board that you've got to be a much more intelligent player to play in Serie A, and it's certainly getting it's a quicker game. And I think that's what Conte's seeing, seeing that players can adapt quite quickly. He's taking the players he knows who are quite intelligent from the Premier League with all the physical attributes and bringing them in. When you look at Smalling going in with Fonseca and Roma, he's done brilliantly. And so for me, and the likes of Mkhitaryan, we've seen him do exceptionally well, another clever player who can come and play. These are players who, for a, not a huge fee, the likes of Manchester United and Arsenal will get off the books. And so, for me, I mean, if they could pick Chris Mullen up for what's reported to be at 20 million, and they can do something with the wages for that, they've got a centre-back they know they can trust. And that's, that's huge. Because especially, as I think Rafael mentioned before when talking about Roma, we don't know what's going on with James Pelotta. We've heard about all the different predicts, ownership that might come in. Nothing's being talked about at the moment. It's very, very difficult. Roma just need to... Anyone who's playing at Roma at this moment in time and who's doing a good job and can be kept on a cut price or a decent price, I'd do it in a heartbeat. And I think Chris Moore is one of the best defenders in the Serie A this season. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with you. I remember I, for, uh, while we were on the break, I sort of did a Serie A team of the year so far. I went with De Vrij and Acherby, but the other two I were considering were Smalling and Romani at Verona, who's on his way to Napoli this summer. So, um, yeah, I think Smalling has been exceptional and um, would really benefit from staying at Roma for another year. Let's see how that one plays out. It seems there could be a conclusion on that in the next week or so. 
Okay, well, that wraps it up for this week, guys. Thanks again for enjoying me. Thoroughly enjoyable, as always. And uh, we'll catch you again next week. Great, thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Cheers.